All right, good morning, men. Let, let's get going. I'm going to start with the good news. Uh, coffee's delayed, but it's coming. Okay, so uh, we'll have it by the end of our time before we hit the group. So uh, try to stay awake. We'll move through this. And uh, just want to introduce myself. I'm Brian Buchek. Uh, serve on the elder team with Todd and David and Bo, and it's just a privilege to be with you men this morning. It's a glorious thing to wake up, uh, to study God's Word, to be around men who uh, want to grow in their walk with Christ, and so it's just a privilege to be with you. Let's pray. We'll dive in. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you just that you uh, are sovereign and make the sun rise on our day, and we pray that our uh, time this morning would glorify you that you would continue to draw our hearts, that you'd help us to understand more of who you are, more of how we should respond to you. Thank you for this uh, book of Judges that you've given us to serve as a warning for our lives uh, and to teach us and instruct us and to rebuke us. And so uh, help us just to listen to you and uh, to be your men today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, as you guys read this week, there's a lot of crazy that happens in this last section of Judges, chapters 17 through 21. A lot of crazy. Like, who needs Netflix when you have Judges 17 through 21? Okay, that's the reality, guys. Uh, it's a graphic depiction of depravity and lawlessness. God's trying to show us that when we move away from him and we move away from his ways, that it, it just... It, uh, never goes well for us. Chaos ensues. There's two stories here. There's a story in 17 and 18. There's another story in 19 through 21. And they're, they're there really just to give us a ground level glimpse into what life is like when Israel's left to their own resources. The memory verse this week is a really important one. I hope you guys worked on it. Who, who got it? You guys work on the memory verse this week, 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I'm going to spend some time on that verse this morning, unpacking it. Um, that verse, if, if you have a pen in your Bible, put a note by it. Just pay attention. Blinking red light. It's a warning for us. We're supposed to pay attention. There's a lot here that, that God is using to instruct us um, just about the sin and the destruction that happens when we move away from him. I think, you know, warnings that are the most clear are really helpful because right? uh, we tend to be uh, idiots and we don't pay attention. And so I, I personally, I need really clear warnings. And, uh, you know, I came across this a couple weeks ago. You guys may have heard about that fire that was out in L.A. Uh, that had started near UCLA, jumped across the highway, was up near the Getty Museum, and so they called it the Getty Fire. And it was near some really nice, expensive neighborhoods in Westwood and Brentwood. I saw that LeBron's family had to evacuate, and a lot of families were getting out of the area. But I think there were a lot that just weren't paying attention and weren't taking the fire seriously. So this L.A. city councilman went on the news, and uh, his name was Paul Koritz, and he, he made this statement, which just caught my eye for, for the clarity of the statement. He says, if you're in the mandatory evacuation zone and you're still there watching this, you're an idiot. Get the hell out. It's way too dangerous. <laughs> I, I, just, I really appreciated the clarity of this warning. It's abrasive and a bit shocking, but I'm sure he did it on purpose. He's trying to get people's attention. 
Because he knows we, we, we are idiots. We don't pay attention when we should. And so I, I want you guys to, to see the, the, the blinking red lights around Judges 21-25 and really all that's happening here in these chapters. There, there are some clear warnings here that God wants us to know and to pay attention so that we're not the idiot. Okay, so that we would realize how ugly life gets and how much chaos ensues when we move away from him because we are moving away from light and life and love and toward darkness, death, and hatred. Okay, that's the clear warning that's here for us. And so, uh, but just want to spend a few minutes looking in chapter 17 at some ways that we're like this character Micah in the story. And then I want to spend the bulk of our time just unpacking that phrase, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we'll unpack that for a few minutes and we'll send you off to your groups. Um, But in chapter 17, you guys read this week that there's this story about an uh, Ephraimite named Micah and his idolatry. And he had an encounter with the tribe of Dan. And the story Micah recounts how He set up this personal shrine, this household temple with an idol and an ephod, and he recruits a Levite to serve as his own priest in this household temple. And in chapter 18, you see that the men of the disobedient tribe of Dan, who uh, had rejected God's command in, in taking the land that they were supposed to take, they pass through and they rob Micah of his idol, his his household gods as he fought, and they even take his priest. And this priest, Jonathan, who we learn later is a descendant of Moses, becomes an idolatrous priest for the tribe of Dan. It's craziness, guys. And I think it's easy for us to read a story like this and just move quickly past it and uh, you know, think, okay, well, that was that time period, and there's not a lot there for me in my life. And so I just, I want to uh, debunk that a bit. I, I just picked up three simple observations from this story and how we are like Micah at times, maybe too often. And so the uh, first way that we're like Micah in this story is that he wants to worship God on his own terms. We see it in, in verses four and five when he sets up his, his household temple. See, Micah's is a religion that is not about God's truth, God's commands, God's will. It's about Micah's preferences and ideas. See, we, we see this, unfortunately, in our own lives and in lives around us in our communities. That we want to worship God according to our own ideas and preferences. We do this by uh, picking apart the Bible, choosing the parts that we want to believe and neglecting the others, neglecting the hard stuff, neglecting the stuff that, uh, where Jesus tells us that we have to deny ourselves and pick up our cross every single day, do the hard work of following him. We want to uh, pick apart uh, passages and, and uh, the way that culture would say, hey, uh, marriage is this, sexuality is this, and we say, eh, I'll go with culture. I think God's word may be a little antiquated on these subjects. And so we, we pick it apart and we, we want to worship God on our own terms. We see it in community groups all the time. When counsel is given that is just 
based on ideas and preferences and experiences instead of using God's word to counsel biblically. Another way that we're like Micah here is just by his spiritual arrogance. There's a lot of pride. We see that in, in a lot of ways, but we see it in verse 5 when he ordains one of his own sons to be priest. It's kind of signified and he was setting himself up as a type of a high priest. So there's just this pride and arrogance in what he's doing. He's ignoring God's commands, giving no attention to the authority that God has in his life. And so, um, unfortunately, I see this in my life. I see it in, in lives the guys around me often. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a pride and arrogance that all too often marks our lives, men. Uh, shows up in just our lack of devoting daily. That's an easy way to spot, hey, how, how am I doing? Just devoting daily, just the, the simple basics of blocking and tackling following Christ through opening his word every morning, spending time diligently in prayer, confessing sin, just, just the, the basics. How am I doing there? Devoting daily. And, and I think it, it's just, it shows up in our, our spiritual arrogance and pride when we, when we don't do it, when our, our, we're not marked as men who are prayerful and on our knees. Our prayer life suffers because we just don't need God. We're, we're independent in an unhealthy way. I think another way that it, this shows up, um, does in my life, does in my marriage at times, unfortunately, is just my inability to receive admonishment. I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, there's, there's plenty of times when my wife wants to sharpen me with, with something she sees in me, and my first instinct is to get defensive. You guys ever do this? Uh, I think we all do at times. But we see it in, in community groups often that you've got a faithful brother who wants to wound you faithfully. Uh, as Proverbs 27, 6 says, and yet because of our spiritual pride and arrogance, we are not able to receive the admonishment. We don't receive the sharpening. And we try to turn the table and we, we, we begin pointing at them or calling them out for the way that they admonished, wasn't done correctly, instead of really listening and hearing what that brother is trying to tell us. We need to view uh, this type of rebuke as oil on our head, Psalm 141, verse 5. Okay, that will help in this area of spiritual arrogance that we see here in Micah. And the third is just that uh, Micah is deceived about his relationship and his devotion to God. He's deluded, guys. See, what he really wants um, shows up in, in 1713. says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. There it is. Micah just wants God's blessing without listening to, to God's commands. He just wants God to prosper him without the diligence of faithful relationship with him. How often do we do the same thing, guys, where, where we just can delude ourselves about our walk with Christ, that we just want God to bless what we're doing without actually doing the hard work of being attentive to God's word, being uh, authentic with our community. Now I see this, unfortunately, in my life, just where uh, you know, I've got a, a father wound that rears its ugly head sometimes. My dad died when I was really little, and so uh, this father wound can, can uh, show up in ways where I wanna perform and achieve for my heavenly father. 
at times in an unhealthy way, where I, I, I focus on external righteousness and appearance in a, in a way that is very contrary to what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I um, think where God would have me move out of that delusion is just focusing on a pure heart before him, of the purity of my devotion in my walk with him. And so there's just a warning here, guys, to not be deluded that because you are a member at Watermark or because you show up eight weeks in a row for Summit Men's Bible Study, which way to go if you did, okay, way to finish strong by being here in the last week, um, but we can delude ourselves. And so we, we got to pay attention to the warning. Yeah, in 19 through 21, these, these last three chapters, I'll just give a quick recap. We don't have time to go through the story in detail, but what you saw there, what you read this week is really one of the most graphic uh, depictions of depravity that you have in your Bible. It's, it's, uh, it's shocking. It should be shocking. This, this Levite that we see in, in uh, chapter 19, it's a different Levite on the, in the story now, and um, there's just a brutal uh, rape and murder just a man who was far from God. And so what we see here is just the moral degradation of, of Israelite society is just increasing. It's getting more and more chaotic. And they're becoming more and more desensitized to the sin and the destruction that's around them. They, they don't even care. They hardly are crying out to the Lord. There's hardly any mention of the Lord in these chapters. And it moves us on to that very last statement of the book that's made. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so there's, there's the phrase that we need to pay attention to. And so I want to spend some time on that, just quickly look at uh, the reason, the result, and the remedy. So what's the reason? Why do we do what's right in our own, own eyes? What's the result of it? And then what's the remedy for it? Okay, well, the reason, guys, is pretty clear in Scripture. The reason is because we love our sin. We love our sin. We love the darkness. We seek our own desires all too often. John 3, 19 through 20 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We reveal our love for the darkness by our lack of uh, the fear of the Lord and our unwillingness to confess and repent on a consistent basis. We want to keep running our own offense, do we not? That, that, is, that is what marks most men today. We want to manage our sin. We want to play with temptation. We want to coddle these little pet sins that we think aren't that big a deal. It's a big deal. We never consider that we should cut off our right hand and gouge out our eye when it leads us into temptation the way that Christ calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. Todd's often said our, our underlying issue, our main problem, that sin is the constant belief that God is not good, his word's not true, and disobeying him isn't that big a deal. That's really the reason for doing what's right in our own eyes. We don't think God is good, we don't believe that his word is true, and we just don't think that disobeying him is a big deal. Romans 125, Paul says it this way, that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. 
So we substitute things about God that aren't true, and we don't believe the things about him that are true, and then we, we try to put things on the throne in our heart. We substitute all these various appetites like Wes talked about last week with the life of Samson and that, the appetites, the things that we crave. We try to fill all of that in our lives, and it never works. Doing what's right in our own eyes never works. And Scripture just blatantly calls us a fool. Proverbs 28, 26, when we live this way, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. If I asked the room here, I don't think I would get one hand up in the air uh, for, hey, who wants to be a fool? None of us do. We don't want to be foolish and live a life that people mock. We want to live a life of wisdom, a life that's glorious, a life that, that shows the glory of our, of our king. And so uh, we've got to pay attention to the reasons why we choose to do what's right in our own eyes. Next, let's look at the result. What's the result of living this way? Proverbs 16.25 tells us. It's really the, the perfect complementary verse to Judges 21.25. Proverbs 16.25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. But it's, the, it's death, guys. It's separation from God. It's separation from uh, the, the good life that he wants for us. We, we experience these cycles of sin and judgment like we see in the book of Judges. Sin hardens us and it hollows us as we, as we experience this death that's away from God. Matthew 19, 8, Jesus said, hey, it's, it's because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. It's because of sin that hardens you. Hebrews 3, 13, we know that verse. We love this verse. Encourage one another daily so that your hearts would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because it is deceitful. It promises life to us and it never fulfills. And Keller makes a great point that you probably read um, in these last couple chapters of his book. Um, makes a great point that sin tends to hollow us as well. Besides hardening, it hollows us. So it, it doesn't necessarily make us outwardly uh, violent um, and just, you know, really evil by um, outward standards. We can just be hollow on the inside. And we just begin to make it all about us. And that's a problem. We see it in Micah in chapter 17. It's false religion. We see it in the world around us. We see it in American Christianity, half-hearted devotion, which is not biblical Christianity. Men, full devotion should be normal for every believer. Okay, this should be normal for us. That's what Christ is calling us to. So through these last couple chapters of Judges, we just see that the that Israel fails to look to the Lord for guidance. They only turn to him out of, uh, more out of anger than repentance, right? Proverbs 19.3 tells us that we do the same thing. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, he rages against the Lord. There's foolishness in that. There's a great uh, warning chapter of Proverbs 5. Read it often, guys. Go read that chapter today. The, the warning of the adulterous woman and the adultery that lives in our own hearts. But there's a warning at the end of that chapter which is, just shows us the result of doing what's right in our own eyes. 
says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. There's death there as we move away from God's ways and do what's right in our own eyes. And last, let's, let's finish on, on a positive note. What's the remedy? Where's our hope? Well, we know where our hope is, man. Our hope is in the gospel that even while we were still sinners, even while we were men and are men at times who do what's right in our own eyes, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. So how, how should we react to the events in Judges 19? When we read the, the craziness that's in this story and the craziness that ensues all really throughout the book of Judges with all these cycles, how do we react to the reality that we do what's right in our own eyes too often? What's the right response? It's, it's Matthew 5, 4, that we should mourn, men. We should grieve over our sin. It's, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah 66, 2 tells us the remedy for doing what's right in our own eyes. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Humility confession, repentance, abiding with Christ, living authentically in community. This is the remedy for doing what's right in our own eyes. See that the beginning part of that verse, in those days there was no king in Israel. It points us, points us to something really important. It's, it's descriptive of this time in Israel, but it points us to the next book where we see Ruth and Boaz and then what becomes their great-grandson, David, who has this throne, becomes this great king. But Scripture tells us it's not just about King David. It's about the eternal king who's going to come reign and rule on the throne of David forever and ever. And this is the king that you need. This is the king that you need to pay attention to. This is the king that all of Scripture is pointing to. And this is the one that we need to be ruled by and rescued by. And I love how Keller said it. He just put it really plainly. What we need is a king who will rescue us and rule us and change us. Guys, we don't need to focus on following rules. We need to focus on being ruled. So there's a message there, even in the simple verse of Judges 21, 25, that we need to be ruled by Christ. And let me close with this. I'm reading uh, with some other guys, J.C. Ryle's Holiness, Highly recommend this book to you. It's highly convicting on every single page. So if you want to be highly convicted, uh, go check it out. But it, this, this quote caught my eye just because uh, it's convicting and I, I don't live this way nearly enough. It says, true Christianity will cost a man his sins. He must be willing to give up every habit and practice which is wrong in God's sight. He must set his face against it quarrel with it, break off from it, fight with it, crucify it, and labor to keep it under control. Whatever the world around him may say or think, he must do this honestly and fairly. There must be no secret truce with any special sin which he loves. He must count all sins as his deadly enemies and hate every false way. Men, let's live like this. Let's don't be the fool who trusts in his own mind, who does what is right in his own eyes. Let's live like this. 
Let's pray. Father, we need your help. You have shown us the way. You have uh, given us this book to reveal your heart to us, to reveal uh, just yourself in the way that we should live, the way we should respond to you with full devotion, with not trusting in our own minds, doing what's right in our own eyes. Because we know that that will lead to judgment and destruction and death. And so God, would you help us to be the, the wise, humble, faithful men that you called us to be, to live in a way where we would be diligent to root out sin in our lives, to confess it and repent, to be your faithful men. Help us to be watchful today, to be standing strong, that all that we would do would be done in love. In Christ's name, amen.